0: Lord of the Flies, Chapter 3, Huts on the Beach Jack was bent double. He was down like a sprinter, his nose only a few inches from the human earth. The tree trunks and the creepers that festooned them lost themselves in a green dust 30 feet above him, and all about was the undergrowth. There was only the faintest indication of a trail here, a cracked twig and what might be the impression of one side of a hoof. He lowered his chin and stared at the traces, as though he would force them to speak to him. Then, dog like, uncomfortably on all fours, yet unheeding his discomfort, he stole forward five yards and stopped. Here was a loop of creeper with a tendril pendant from a node. The tendril was polished on the underside. Pigs, passing through the loop, brushed it with their bristly hide. Jack crouched with his face a few inches away from this clue, then stared forward into the semi darkness of the undergrowth. His sandy hair, "'considerably longer than it had been when they dropped in, "'was lighter now, "'and his bare back was a mass of dark freckles "'and peeling sunburn. "'A sharpened stick about five feet long "'trailed from his right hand, "'and except for a pair of tattered shorts "'held up by his knife belt, he was naked. "'He closed his eyes, raised his head, "'and breathed in gently with flared nostrils, "'assessing the current of warm air for information. "'The forest and he were very still. "'At length he let out his breath in a long sigh "'and opened his eyes.' They were bright blue, eyes that in this frustration seemed bolting and nearly mad. He passed his tongue across dry lips and scanned the uncommunicative forest. Then again, he stole forward and cast this way and that over the ground. The silence of the forest was more oppressive than the heat, and at this hour of the day, there was not even the whine of insects. Only when Jack himself roused a gaudy bird from a primitive nest of sticks was the silence shattered and echoes set ringing by a harsh cry that seemed to come out of the abyss of ages. Jack himself shrank at this cry with a hiss of indrawn breath, and for a minute became less a hunter than a furtive thing, ape like among the tangle of trees. Then the trail, the frustration, claimed him again, and he searched the ground avidly. By the trunk of a vast tree that grew pale flowers on its gray bark he checked, closed his eyes, and once more drew in the warm air. And this time his breath came short. There was even a passing pallor in his face, and then the surge of blood again. He passed like a shadow under the darkness of the tree and crouched, looking down at the trodden ground at his feet. The droppings were warm. They lay piled among turned earth. They were olive green, smooth, and they steamed a little. Jack lifted his head and stared at the inscrutable masses of a creeper that lay across the trail. Then he raised his spear and sneaked forward. Beyond the creeper the trail joined a pig run that was wide enough and trodden enough to be a path. The ground was hardened by an unaccustomed by an unaccustomed tread, and as Jack rose to his full height, he heard something moving on it. He swung back his right arm and hurled the spear with all his strength. But the pig run from the pig run came the quick, hard patter of hoofs, a castanet sound, seductive, maddening, the promise of meat. He rushed out of the undergrowth and snatched up his spear. The pattering of pigs trotters died away in the distance. Jack stood there, streaming with sweat, streaked with brown earth, stained by all the vicissitudes of a day's hunting. Swearing, he turned off the trail and pushed his way through until the forest opened a little, and instead of bald trunks supporting a dark roof, there were light gray trunks and crowns of feathery palm. Beyond these was the glitter of the sea, and he could hear voices. Ralph was standing by a contraption of palm trunks and leaves, a rude shelter that faced the lagoon and seemed very near to falling down. He did not notice when Jack spoke. So a quick note on uh, what we just read in relation to Jack. If you notice... Golden goes into great detail about what he looks like. So you want to kind of pay attention, go back and take a look at or listen to what he compared Jack to over and over again, Um, how he's describing him as he's hunting, what's happening to him now that he's been there for a little while. We also get an indication of time period or how long they've been there. It says that his hair is considerably longer than when he dropped in. Typically in most conversations I've had with classes and I've asked guys, all right, so about how long would it take for your hair to get considerably longer? Usually we kind of come across about a few months or so. So I figure it's been a few months since he, they've been there. So by this point, it's not quite as new and exciting anymore. Any water? Ralph looked up, frowning from the complication of leaves. He did not notice Jack even when he saw him. I said, you got any water? I'm thirsty. Ralph withdrew his attention from the shelter and realized Jack with a start. Oh, hello. Water? There by the tree. Ought to be some left. Jack took up a coconut shell that brimmed with fresh water from among a group that was arranged in the shade and drank. The water splashed over his chin and neck and chest. He breathed noisily when he had finished. Needed that. Simon spoke from inside the shelter. Up a bit. Ralph turned to the shelter and lifted a branch with a whole tiling of leaves. The leaves came apart and fluttered down. Simon's contrite face appeared in the hole. Sorry. Ralph surveyed the wreck with distaste. Never get it done. He flung himself down at Jack's feet. Simon remained looking out of the hole in the shelter. Once down, Ralph explained. Then we're ever days now, and look. Two shelters were in position, but shaky. This one was a ruin. And they keep running off. You remember the meeting, how everyone was going to work hard until the shelters were finished? Except me and my hunters. Except the hunters. Well, the little ones are he gesticulated, thought for a word. They're hopeless. The older ones aren't much better. You see? All day I've been working with Simon. No one else. They're off bathing or eating or playing. Simon poked his head out carefully. You're chief. You tell him off. Ralph lay flat and looked up at the palm trees in the sky. <laughs> meetings. Don't we love meetings? Every day. Twice a day we talk. He got on one elbow. I bet if I blew the conscious minute they'd come running. Then we'd be, you know, very solemn. And someone would say, we ought to build a jet or a submarine or a TV set. When the meeting was over, they'd work for five minutes. Then wander off or go hunting. Jack flushed. We want meat. Well, we haven't gotten it yet. And we want shelters. Besides, the rest of your hunters came back hours ago. They've been swimming. I went on, said Jack. I let them go. I had to go on. I. He tried to convey the compulsion. To track down and kill that was swallowing him up. I went on. I thought by myself. The madness came into his eyes again. I thought I might kill. But you didn't. I thought I might. Some hidden passion vibrated in Ralph's voice. But you haven't yet. His invitation might have passed as casual, were it not for the undertone. You wouldn't care to help with the shelters, I suppose. You want me we don't get it. Now the antagonism was audible. But I shall. Next time. I've got to get a barb on this spear. We wounded a pig and the spear fell out. We could only make barbs. We need shelters. Suddenly, Jack shouted in rage. Are you accusing? All I'm saying is we've worked dash it hard. That's all. They were both red in the face and found looking at each other difficult. Ralph rolled on his stomach and began to play with the grass. If it rains, like we dropped in, we'll need shelters all right. And then another thing, we need shelters because of the, he paused for a moment and they both pushed their anger away. Then he went on with the safe change subject. So pausing for a moment before we go on with the safe change subject, Again, you got to pay attention to what's going on with Ralph and Jack. So in the beginning, they're working really, really well together, right? We had that scene earlier on when they're making the fire. They're both holding up the log. Oh, it's too heavy. Not too heavy for the two of us. And they're working together for something that's important. But now, well, what's starting to happen? They're not working as well together in part because you need to pay attention to what is it that they both want? How are their priorities different? If you notice too, when Jack's talking about hunting, he says his compulsion to kill, Notice the fact that he's not saying his compulsion to get meat. He's saying his compulsion to kill. So now they switch to a safe, changed subject. You've noticed, haven't you? Jack down a spear and squatted. Noticed what? Well, they're frightened. He rolled over and peered into Jack's fierce, dirty face. I mean, the way things are. They dream. You can hear them. Have you been awake at night? Jack shook his head. They talk and scream. The little ones. Even some of the others. as if, As if it wasn't a good island. Astonished at the interruption, they looked up at Simon's serious face. As if, said Simon, the beastie, the beastie or the snake thing, was real, remember? The two older boys flinched when they heard the shameful syllable. Snakes were not mentioned now, were not mentionable. As if this wasn't a good island, said Ralph slowly. Yes, that's right. Jack sat up and stretched out his legs. They're batty. Crackers. Remember when we went exploring? They grinned at each other, remembering the glamour of the first day. Ralph went on. So we need shelters as a sort of home. That's right. Jack drew up his legs, clasped his knees, and frowned in an effort to attain clarity. All the same, in the forest, I mean, when you're hunting—not when you're getting fruit, of course—but when you're on your own. He paused for a moment, not sure if Ralph would take him seriously. Go on. If you're hunting, sometimes you catch yourself feeling as if—flush suddenly. There's nothing in it, of course, just a feeling, but. You can feel as if you're not hunting, but being hunted, as if something's behind you all the time in the jungle. They were silent again. Simon intent, Ralph incredulous and faintly indignant. He sat up, rubbing one shoulder with a dirty hand. <sighs> I don't know. Jack leapt to his feet and spoke very quickly. It's how you can feel in the forest. Of course, there's nothing in it. Only, only, he took a few rapid steps toward the beach and came back. Only, I know what I feel. See? That's all. The best thing we can do is get ourselves rescued. Jack had to think for a moment before he could remember what rescue was. Rescue? Yes, of course. All the same. I'd like to catch a pig first. He snatched up his spear and dashed it into the ground. The opaque, mad look came into his eyes again. Ralph looked at him critically through his tangle of fair hair. So long as you and your hunters remember the fire, you and your fire... The two boys trotted down the beach and, turning at the water's edge, looked back at the pink mountain. The trickle of smoke sketched a chalky line up the solid blue of the sky. Wavered high up and faded, Ralph frowned. I wondered how far off you could see that. Miles! We don't make enough smoke. The bottom part of the trickle, as though conscious of their gaze, thickened to a creamy blur, which crept up the feeble column. They put on green branches, muttered Ralph. I wonder. He screwed up his eyes and swung around to search the horizon. Got it! Jack shouted so loudly that Ralph jumped. What? Where? Is it a ship? But Jack was pointing to the high declivities that led down from the mountain to the flatter part of the island. Of course! They'll lie up there, they must, when the sun's too hot. Ralph gazed bewildered at his rapt face. They get up high, high up and in the shade, resting during the heat, like cows at home. I thought you saw a ship. We could steal up on one, paint our faces so they wouldn't see, perhaps surround them and then... Indignation took away Ralph's control. I was talking about smoke. Don't you want to be rescued? All you can talk about is pig, 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 but we want meat. And I work all day with nothing but Simon and you come back and don't even notice the huts. I was working too. But you like it, shouted Ralph. You want to hunt while I... They faced each other on the bright beach astonished at the rub of feeling. Ralph looked away first pretending interest in a group of little ones in the sand. From beyond the platform came the shouting of the hunters in the swimming pool. On the end of the platform, Piggy was lying flat, looking down at the brilliant water. People don't help much. He wanted to explain how people were never quite what you thought they were. Simon, he helps. He pointed at the shelters. All the rest rushed off. He's not as much as I have, only Simon's always about. Ralph steered back to the shelters with Jack by his side. Do a bit for you, muttered Jack, before I have a bathe. Don't bother. When they reached the shelter, Simon was not to be seen. Ralph put his head in the hole, withdrew it, and turned to Jack. He's buzzed off. Got fed up, said Jack, and gone for a bathe. Ralph frowned. He's queer. He's funny. Jack nodded, as much for the sake of agreeing as anything. And by tacit consent, they left the shelter and went toward the bathing pool. And then said Jack, when I've had a bathe and something to eat, I'll just trek over to the other side of the mountain, see if I can see any traces. Coming? But the sun's nearly set. I might have time. They walked along, two continents of experience and feeling, unable to communicate. I could only get a pig. I'll come back and go on with the shelter. They looked at each other, baffled, in love and hate. All the warm salt water, the bathing pool, the shouting and splashing and laughing were only just sufficient to bring them together again. So again, you want to pay attention to what's going on between Ralph and Jack, two continents of experience and feeling unable to communicate. So consider why they might be two continents, two completely separate entities. And why is it that they're struggling to communicate? How do they have these two vastly different ideas of what's actually important? The other thing, too, to point out is that they were talking about what's been happening to them, why they need to have shelters, why we need homes. Again, think about what does a home do for us? What does it make us feel? We feel secure. Why might that be important, especially to these kids? If they've been there for a few months, what are they starting to recognize? What emotion is starting to overcome them? Simon was not in the bathing pool as they had expected. When the other two had trotted down the beach to look back at the mountain, he had followed them for a few yards and then stopped. He'd stood frowning down at a pile of sand on the beach where somebody had been trying to build a little house or hut. Then he turned his back on this and walked into the forest with an air of purpose. He was a small skinny boy, his chin pointed, and his eyes so bright they deceived Ralph into thinking him delightfully gay and wicked. The coarse mop of black hair was long and swung down, almost concealing a low, broad forehead. He wore the remains of shorts, and his feet were bare like Jack's. Always darkish in color, Simon was burned by the sun to a deep tan that glistened with sweat. He picked his way up the scar, past the great rock where Ralph had climbed the first morning, then turned off to his right among the trees. He walked with an accustomed tread through the acres of fruit trees, where the least energetic could find an easy, if unsatisfying, meal. Flower and fruit grew together on the same tree, and everywhere was the scent of ripeness and the booming of a million bees of pasture. Here, the little ones who had run after him caught up with him. They talked, cried out unintelligibly, lugged him toward the trees. Then amid the roar of bees in the afternoon sunlight, Simon found for them the fruit they could not reach, pulled off the choices from up in the foliage, passed them back down to the endless outstretched hands. When he had satisfied them, he paused and looked round. The little ones watched him inscrutably over double handfuls of ripe fruit. Simon turned away from them and went where the just perceptible path led him. Soon high jungle closed in. Tall trunks bore unexpected pale flowers all the way up to the dark canopy where life went on clamorously. The air here, too, was dark. The creepers dropped their ropes like the rigging of foundered ships. His feet left prints in the soft soil, and the creepers shivered throughout their lengths when he bumped them. He came at last to a place where more sunshine fell. Since they had not so far to go for the light, the creepers had woven a great mat that hung at the side of an open space in the jungle. For here a patch of rock came close to the surface and would not allow more than little plants and ferns to grow. The whole space was walled with dark aromatic bushes, and was a bowl of heat and light. A great tree fallen across one corner leaned against the trees that still stood, and a rapid climber flaunted yellow and yellow and red sprays, right to the top. Simon paused. He looked over his shoulder as Jack had done at the close ways behind him, and glanced swiftly round to confirm he was utterly alone. For a moment his movements were almost furtive. Then he bent down and wormed his way into the center of the map. The creepers and the bushes were so close that he left his sweat on them, and they pulled together behind him. When he was secure in the middle, he was in a little cabin screened off from the open space by a few leaves. He squatted down, parted the leaves, and looked down into the clearing. Nothing moved but a pair of gaudy butterflies that danced round each other in the hot air. Holding his breath he cocked a critical ear at the sound of the island. Evening was advancing toward the island, the sounds of the bright fantastic birds, the bee sounds. Even the crying of the gulls that were returning to their roosts among the square rocks were fainter. The deep sea breaking miles away on the reef made an undertone less perceptible than the susurration of the blood. Simon dropped the screen of leaves back in a place. The slope of the bars of honey-colored sunlight decreased. They slid up the bushes, passed over the green candle-like buds, moved up toward the canopy and darkness, thickened under the trees. With the fading of the light, the riotous colors died and the heat and urgency cooled away. The candle stirred. The green sepals drew back a little, and the white tips of the flowers rose delicately to meet the open air. Now the sunlight had lifted clear of the open space and withdrawn from the sky. Darkness poured out, submerging the waves between the trees till so they were dim and strange as the bottom of the sea. The candle buds opened their wide white flowers, glimmering under the light that pricked down from the first stars. Their scent spilled out into the air and took possession of the island. That's the end of chapter three. The only thing I want, to, I want you to pay attention to in the end here, we're going to actually come back to that section later on, is just to look at what Simon has done. So he's done a couple things there at the end on his way out. Uh, again, if you look at, we notice he's been the guy that's been very helpful from the get-go. Um, and again, if you think about later on, we're going to talk about the allegorical aspects. So what are some ideas? What part of ourselves might he be? Uh, think about the Bible. Who might he be? This person that's being very, very helpful. Helping everybody out, even the people that people don't typically like. The other thing is in that last section, the amount of references to dark and light and kind of keeping in mind throughout the book, this concept of dark and light. We think about darkness. What is darkness supposed to represent? What is light supposed to represent? And again, we'll talk more about that as the as the book goes on.